Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. He's going for gold. It's track. The captain. If anyone knows me, I love 80s classic rubbish pop. Player. It's kind of interesting where he was at that point in any, any time. The word I've got here circled is sap. It's just savvy. And other special guests. Oh, I love it. Captain, seeing, seeing that you, you're raring to go, <laughs> what are your thoughts about the wedding feast? This track... I mean, he must have known people would ridicule this track. I mean, unless he was just so far into this album, he didn't even think about what people were going to think about it. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. I mean, it isn't as good as The Morning After, but I still like it. It's it's more of an, like a, a, a Sieg, an interlude, than an actual song. But it's just hilarious. I mean, he even laughs at the end of it, you know, after he says, unless it's snowing. Then he just laughs, like, what the hell was that? <laughs> Which is great. But who sings the intro? This is the brother dear brother start, isn't it? Who sings that? I've always thought it was Kip, Kip but I might Kip, be wrong. Yeah. I thought it was Kip as well. Could or, be. Or Morris. I'm thinking it sounds like Morris, but I don't know. It could be Kip. But I don't know. I mean, is it making fun of you know, Broadway musicals or something? Uh, or is it just making fun of himself, making a stupid song? Making fun of medieval know. times, I don't know. The, the, the lyrics don't even make sense. Like, now there must be a wedding, now there must be a feast, a feast, a feast, a smorgasbord at least. And then he goes, a brunch, a munch of cake, it's just a piece. That Those are completely two opposing viewpoints. Either you, either you want a slice of cake or a smorgasbord, make your mind up. <laughs> this is like ridiculous. So it's, it's a feast, it's, it's got everything. Yeah. <laughs> But and then he and then what he's going on about? Oh, we've got to eat a leaf, uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> anyway, it, it's it's good. I I could never skip this track. Player, after Captain's surprising review of the wedding piece, what <laughs> so have you got surprising. to say about this? <laughs> uh, I'm going to be even more surprising. Okay, I'm going to go out there and say this. I don't care what you all say, but I'm sure I'm in the minority here. But I really like this song. I think yeah, the, it's great. The, the way I see it is Prince wants to attempt to try as many musical styles as possible. And the one that he's never explore, explored before this is opera. And But I think the the only way that he knows he can get away with it is to do it with humor and a bit yeah. tongue-in-cheek. And it's quite obvious that that's his intention with that laugh that he puts at the end of the, the track. I mean, it's under a minute long. It's only very short. I think... Some people take this song way too seriously. I, I crack up every time I hear it. And it just adds to the narration of the whole story. I think it just... It's, it's trying to tell, like, part of the story. Um, I think it's quite cool, the Dr. Seuss style. Of, the lyrics are catchy and witty. And I think the whole thing's very creative. So, yeah, I know a lot of people hate this song, but I think it's quite cool. Yay! Hi, Jim. Well, what you got to say? I don't hate this song in the sense that I agree with Player. It's Prince doing something he hasn't done before. It is funny, but to me, it's just it, it kind of kills the album a little bit because it, it just stands out like a sore thumb. Like, 
And again, I think it all comes down to this fact that Prince didn't know, he didn't even know himself where he was going with this story. He'd, he'd set it all out, but he had no idea how to finish it, and I kind of get the impression with this track that it's almost a get-out-of-jail clause. Like, oh, it was all just a joke, ha ha ha. So, in that sense, I'm, you know, I can't say I'm a fan of this track. Because um, it does kind of spoil the flow of the album. But, you know, I can understand that, yeah, it's Prince doing something different. Some, there's some nice Baroque kind of playing in there. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to move on. Feast, a feast, I'm, I'm happy to move a swollen well. spoon oh, at least. <laughs> All the keyboards come in. Oh, it's excellent. Uh, I love it. <laughs> Reminds me of Black Adder for some reason. I don't know why. Um... It's obviously a joke, so let's move on to a song that I'll start off, if you guys are all happy for me to do that. She Loves Me For Me. You're not even going to cover Wedding Feast? So, oh, I've done this before, haven't I, with, with, with the song on one album. I think it was Musicology. Yes. I've, I've missed the song before. Um, no, well, that's my comment. It's obviously a joke. I don't have nothing more to say about it. I skip it. Was it a funny joke? No, 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 it's a ridiculous joke. He, he, the lyrics contradict themselves. I don't like the listening. It's a, pa- it's it's not opera. It's a pale imitation of Baroque styles. And in fact, actually, from my knowledge, it's not Baroque at all. But I could be shooting myself in the foot there. Um, it's obviously a joke. I'd rather move on. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> she loves me for me. Uh, this is something that I would like to talk about. Uh, this is this is a very sweet song. And not in a lame way, from my point of view. It's, it's uh, to- Toe James come up with this. I think he might have coined a phrase like one of those dr- the the type of song that Prince writes in a dream. Mm. Well, this is the one that he wrote in a dream uh, for me. It's a sweet song. It's very dreamy. It's it's got really interesting chord progressions. Not not that they are particularly amazing from the point of view of originality, but I just I I, I find them in, I find it interesting to hear them with the overlay of his voice on top of them and the way that he sings in, in the falsetto. It's very interesting vocal delivery to me. And, God, the instrumental work here is just so first-rate. It's so nice to listen to. It's one of my favourite songs on the album. I remember hearing this somewhere as a sample, as an excerpt. It might have even been on MPGMC. And I just think it's a brilliant track. And lyrically, I think it's one of his great achievements. Uh, in as so far as a love song goes, I mean lines like "I don't," uh, I can be what I want to be. I don't have to live up to no one's fantasy. I could write another three hundred melodies. To her, it's just three because this one loves me for me. It speaks volumes about um, the relationship that he's that he's talking about. Yep. You know, I don't ha- I don't even have to take her on the roller coaster see because this one she loves me for me. Uh, some beautiful lines, very simple but very beautiful. Um, in the morning, when I rise and see her eyes look deep into mine, I find a better place. I mean, for, for as manly as as some of us might be, to me that that's really that's it's beautiful. And I think it's one of the it, it's short, and I don't I wouldn't want it to be longer. I think it's the perfect pop song. It's the perfect love song. Um, it's a, it's just really 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 nice track I, I don't know I, I'm not going to rate this as an amazing song because I don't think it is but I, it, it's a nice for what it is uh, I agree the lyrics are very on point and very sweet uh, and I like the way that the playing throughout is kind of laid back like he could have kind of done a, a forever you know the song forever he could have kind of done that and really 
really made it really grand and big, but he hasn't. It suits the it suits the lyrics. It's really laid back and and kind of fluffy. Um, and I love the little guitar line that he's not, he doesn't just strum the chords. He he'll strum some and then he'll pick some others, and it's just really nice. And again, just sounds like he's recorded it one or two takes, and it's and it's really sweet. Uh, it's got a nice bridge. Uh, it does sound very genuine. It sounds like it's come straight from his heart. Um, and yeah, it, for what it is, uh, she loves me fully. She loves me for me. Well, yeah, we like this song because it's Prince doing a ballad. So, yeah, my thoughts. Prince is sitting back going, ha, you think it's genuine? Oh, I just made it, made you think that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's how good songwriter I am. <laughs> Player, what are your thoughts on She Loves Me For Me? Yeah, I have to agree with you, MC. It's just a beautiful song that proves that Prince sometimes doesn't need all the bells and whistles and a whole heap of excessive production to release a really great track. Um, it kind of reminds me of When You Were Mine, not so much in the message, but it's a very simple stripped-down song that packs a punch in its overall result. Um, the way I interpret the track is it's a song to Maite about money, um, and there's some very clear references alluding to that too. Um, oh. For example, the, the 300 Melodies line. Um, remember that a few years before that how... Um, Prince was saying Maite put him into studio rehab. It was like she was sort of trying to get him to cut down on recording. Mm. And now, like, in it, the way I interpret it is now that he has money or at this point in his life, you know, he says, now I can write another 300 melodies. Like, I can go back to the way I was before you sort of interrupted. I can be free. God's gift. Well, if you don't mind me intervening, I, I just want to say that I have... A completely different reading of that that might interest you or anyone who was listening. I'll say quickly when I when I heard that line, I always equated it with. I interpreted him saying, "I could, I can do whatever you know. I'm I'm into I'm I'm a musician. I'm into music, and I can do whatever I want. But regardless of how many pieces I write, regardless of what they're about, regardless of what I do in, in that part of my career, in this." In, in within this relationship it really doesn't make any difference it's irrelevant it's you know we we're, we're not together because of the music i create our relationship is a separate thing and it exists as its own entity kind of i read, read i read that into it so i didn't mm-hmm. i can see that too yeah there's there's things in there that i see as um, him talking about his previous relationships as compared to his or at that time his current relationship but anyway I love the song 6-8 Feel with John Blackwell playing the bell of the hi-hat it just sounds so different by playing the bell of the hi-hat um, his playing gives a delicate feel and a dynamic touch overall it's a breath of fresh air that's really stunning to listen to cool cool Captain yeah this is a love song it's Obviously, it, it it could be considered too sappy, but it's I think it's just on the the borderline of no being way. genuine. It's on the it's on the genuine side. Yeah, I don't side. see it at all. I reckon it's hundred percent. Yeah, it's very genuine. But looking at just the lyrics, it, you could just go, oh, what, what, whatever. See, I don't, I don't think so. I disagree. Disagree. Yeah. I mean, it's got great chords in the bridges. I really like this song. It's probably my third favourite on this album. I'm not saying it is sappy. I'm saying it could be considered by 
some people. Mm. Me, possibly, if I looked at it that way. I don't, because I like it, so I don't. <laughs> but it's got really nice guitar work, like Turjam said, all the way through. Sometimes he's, he's drumming, sometimes he's picking, and he's just doing... He just played it. It sounds like he just did it in one take, just played whatever he wanted straight through, and it's, mm. it's good. Well, it's a you, good one. Because you bring that up, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do a very obscure comparison to a Dire Straits song called So Far Away, where the lead guitar there... Um, when they played it live, and specifically when um, Martin Knopfler plays that song live, you know, within the last say decade or so, what he does is he he doubles up on rhythm and lead guitar, but he le- rhythm and lead guitar lines, but on the same guitar. And I think, like you guys said, Prince is doing the same thing. It's very interesting to hear that. Um, so he's he's embellishing the rhythms with with single notes and and multiple. Um, pick so that's really interesting. But Captain takes away family name review. A family name, okay. You, you got the Stephen Hawking computer voice <laughs> talking about something. Well, I wouldn't have a clue. Some of the bit. Sorry, Prince. I've heard this track a billion times. But whatever these robots are talking about, it has not registered in my brain for one second. That's why he's got a booklet there. You just read it. I didn't even know there was a booklet. You were saying you're reading through the booklet. I'm like, what booklet? Yeah, yeah. Is there a booklet? Yep. Oh, it's yeah. in the... It's in the front. Yeah, it is. Because yeah. it's a crappy digipack thing. I never opened it in case it fell apart. Which they tend to do. Hint, don't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, family name. Yeah, the robots. The only thing I ever hear is the clench your butt cheeks line. <laughs> Everything else, I don't even hear it. And then Mr. Hayes is sounding funny in his... Whatever he says. It's a really catchy song once it gets going. And I think if not for maybe the lyrical content, this could have been a single. Hmm. It's, it, what, I mean, the words totally escape me now, but when it's on, uh, I'm singing along, even though I don't even know the words, but they're just, they, <laughs> they're in my brain. Because it's just such a catchy thing. And it's got this, all this guitar shredding at the end, which is good. good guitar, 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 lots of guitar. It's always good. Actually, just go back one track, She Loves Me For Me. Was that the only thing that came out as like a promo single? Yes, maybe that's where I heard it. I, I think it was in Japan well. or something. Well, the work came out on Napster, didn't it? It was on Napster, yeah. Okay, digital But was there out. a CD single, though? I think there might have been. I think there might have been. I'm sure. I think and there was... To radio. I think there was a single. I remember seeing it. I think the work was sent out to radio stations as a CD single. Hmm... <laughs> Not sure. I can't, I can't remember. Because yeah, there was no real single, was there? Nothing you could buy. No. But that that goes back to when it was first released through MPG Music Club. It was one single MP3, the whole album. And like Love Sexy, you know, you experience it as a whole album. And that could be what. But then again, Love Sexy had singles, and this didn't. So who knows? That's all. <laughs> I just made myself look stupid. <laughs> well, actually, Love Sexy was never. Was that the album that Prince never wanted singles for? But I think it was. Relented at the end. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of relented and put Alphabet Street out. Mm. But, yeah. Good old Warner Brothers. Oh, that made me think. Talk about Warner Brothers. I'll just keep talking. Do you think if he had stayed with Warner Brothers that this album would ever have happened? Would they have released it as it is? Would no they chance. have had a choice? No chance. No, I don't no. think so. Which is interesting. Unless Mo Austin was still there and, and Lenny Prince twisted his arm and Larry Waronka. Lenny Waronka. 
Um, player, what, what are you thinking about family name? How did that, did it affect you? Yeah, it's another commentary that's fascinating to listen to. Makes you think about certain aspects of history and slave names and all of that. So, um, apparently, John Blackwell's trying to channel Herbie Hancock drummer Mike Clark in this track. I think um, Prince said to John, "What's that beat you're always fooling around with at Soundcheck?" And they based the beat off three drummers: Mike Clark, David Garibaldi of Tower of Power, and Greg Erico from Slaying the Family Stone to come Ooh. up with the track groove. Never heard that before. Yeah. So it's very unique for Prince. Um, I always thought the song, in general, reminded me of a like a Stevie Wonder kind of vibe with the kick. Oh, yeah. I can't believe you said that. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, but the highlight would have to be towards the end where it gets very heavy and lets loose with the guitar. But that part is very, very short in the song. But mm. it's yeah, he just loses it. It's excellent. Mm. But yeah, it's it's whether you agree or disagree. You can't deny that the guy's a funny bastard. <laughs> again, you know, clench up your butt cheeks and then zap and then oh, <laughs> cracks me up every time. <laughs> Classic stuff. Um, yeah, the, the, the groove in the song. <laughs> yeah, the groove in this song is just—it's just really funky. It's just like Stevie Wonder, uh, dirty funk kind of stuff, and. I love the way the bass is kind of distorted throughout parts. Uh, and I agree, you know, the lyrics are quite interesting, um, just in terms of, you know, we all have our family name or, or what have you, and, you know, if you really want to analyse it, you know, you could say, well, look, you know, if you take away your family name, you know, essentially we're all human kind of thing. And I think that's what I think that's what the album is trying to get across, but it may or may not succeed in doing so. Um a couple of little interesting research things I've got. Violet Brown, the reference to Violet Brown. I think it may be a reference to there was a Native American woman who uh, fought for her land rights kind of thing, and her name is Violet Brown. And I oh. think that's what the reference is. I wonder what that was. Hmm. So I, I think... And also the Akashic Records is a like a metaphysical term, basically referring to, like, um, the records of history that, you know, supposedly, you know... God or whoever has a record of everything that's ever happened. So that's what the Akashic Records is referring to. Um, yeah, I like a little phone ring sample as well. A little messenger sample at the beginning. Whatever it is. Uh, yeah, and just yeah, bass and the clav keyboards just rock this track, and it's funky stuff. So up to you. Oh, one, one last thing. At the end, um, after the Martin Luther King sample are they chanting free at last or are they chanting we love prince i thought that was yeah we we want prince or we love prince yeah, something uh, like that. yeah it's one of the two i haven't figured out which one yet yeah, never work out exactly what it is i think so anyway that's mine on family name. we'll have to listen to that again um all right what what's your family name this is such an intriguing piece of piece of music it's such an intriguing piece of art um, not least because of the lyrical content and the thematic content and really the thematic structure of the song and, and where it, the, you know the difference between the, that kind of the intro which goes on for about like two and a half or three minutes the spoken word and, and where the song ends up at which is at the free last reference um, it, it's a journey and, and probably something 
you know, I, I could spend 10 or 15 minutes literally talking about this song because I've... It, this is interesting with some Prince songs and this one did it for me. It, it got me asking questions. So like the Akashic Records, all that kind of stuff and and uh, Abu Kar, you know, what is that? What kind of name is that? I, I just started doing my own research. So big props to Prince for putting some stuff in that actually prompted me to... to get online, get into a library and etc. And, and that was that his stuff. plan all along. But besides the point is um, something else. The, there's an, again, not an issue, but an opinion on something that he says at the beginning of it in the, what you call, almost call a monologue to a degree. The robots. He talks, he ta- yeah, the robots. He talks about, um, you know, when my minority becomes a majority, all that kind of stuff. But he, he makes a reference to people um, and who are not just well let me read it out when a minority realizes its similarities on a higher level not just black well I've got an, a, a, an opinion there because he's saying on a higher level not just black he's assuming that somehow black infers um, a, a connection to uh, his concept of what higher level signifies if that makes any sense but then he goes but people of color and then higher still indigenous and even higher still from the tribe of and yet higher the rainbow children so unless the rainbow children constitutes humanity at large which it may or may not do but if it doesn't i've got an i've got a fairly strong opinion on that because i think it's exclusive but i'll leave that you know that's beside the point because the music is funky uh it's funky all the way through the bass is awesome. I think his bass playing, his bass composition is, is ridiculous bow, bow. on this song. It's so good. And, and you know what? It, what's amazing is um, how the bass interjects some points with the syncopation of, of Blackwell's playing. And it, b- before players reference uh, t- to, the dr- to the drumming and, and, and some, some of that historical type stuff, I had no idea. Um, I have to think about that because that's interesting. But, you know, it's, it's some confrontational subject matter, you know. What's your family name? Have a think about it. It's thought-provoking. And from, from five and a half minutes onwards, you guys are correct. That's where it gets harder and tougher and better. And, you know, there's some nice subtle strings in there if you listen carefully. And th- that was really interesting. I was very surprised to hear some strings straight out of the vault on this track. And um, not a lot of people, um, uh, I think, mentioned that. Uh, yeah, the, the last minute or so is fierce. It's some really fiery guitar playing and god he rips it up on um uh, the one night alone live disc live at aladdin this is brilliant and i love the bass the bass playing of ronda on that dvd as well especially on this track it's so cool especially on the if you look at what he's saying i've always taken it as this not just black so okay you're not just black or white going behind that pro- indigenous okay it's not just where about whereabouts your you know your generation sort of lives historically going back before that from the tribe of so really going back thousands of years to when you know humans basically lived in tribes and then going back even further than that basically i think what he's trying to get get to is like you know his little belief of you know when god first created man and woman kind of thing so basically again coming back to saying we're all just human anyway okay ever the everlasting now the second last track of the album technically um what are your thoughts player what do you think of the everlasting now the song yeah, I love this song. It's very funky. The drum groove feels like um, a bit disco in its style, um, but it doesn't last too long before it ventures out into some Latin groove and some Santana-style guitars, always to die for. Um, it's a pretty strong party track, very uplifting. At the same time, classic Prince. Uh, 
love the ending where you think it's going to finish and then he comes back with tear it up and gets back into it for a few more measures. <laughs> I think that was Blackwood's idea and Prince went with it. But yeah. And then he does it again and yeah, does Psych. That's, that's pretty cool. Because he always did that live and then, you know, they've just put it on the song. So very, very cool. Okay, Captain. Okay. This is a good song. It's funky. Yeah. <laughs> what if that was all I said? Is that enough? That's enough. It's not enough. There's more. Just wait. Uh, it's like it's just like this funky jam session, and it's got this super catchy chorus, and I find myself singing along with it without even knowing. And the strange things here. I'm singing along, you know, accurate knowledge of Christ and the Father. I, mean, I have never said those words in my life. Yes, you have. You just didn't know it. And probably never would, but I sing them when the song's on. I mean, and that doesn't mean that I believe it or don't believe it or even give a second thought to what they those words even mean. That's but enough to make that's enough to make him happy, though, Captain. Because maybe someone hears you singing that, and then they'll. That's be what I'm thinking. If his intention was to create a chorus that's catchy enough that you would just sing it no matter what the lyrics were, then he succeeded. Because <laughs> I would never say that in my life. Anyway, it's a super funky song, and live, it was excellent. And here's something that annoys me. There's some uh, Andy's going on about plastic boobs and clip something. Come on, he can say plastic boobs, but he can't say tits in peach? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Come on. Wow, you bring up a great point. I mean, he's, he's saying when their fangs bounce. I mean, if he, can, if he can't say titties, why can he say plastic boobs? <laughs> That's just that annoys me. It's a hypocrisy. It, it's just contradiction. Come on, what's the difference between boobs and titties? I mean, really, got this the Latin Santana-like thing. Five minutes in, it sort of fits, but I would have rather the funk continued with like a breakdown or something else instead. But uh, and then you've got these audience chants of "We want Prince" or "We love Prince." I don't know what they're saying. One or the other. Don't know. But it's yeah. funky song. I agree with the funkiness factor, Captain, because other than the Bible bits and the the um, everlasting the kind of scripture references, um, it is an ultra-funky song, and his bass playing on this, god damn, mm. <laughs> he's getting down. He's getting down and dirty on on, on the bass, um, on the one-eye, maybe. Uh, the guitar work is ridiculous as well. Like, it's so it's so funky. The funk just expands, um, you know, times 10 on this track. It's so cool. Uh, you guys have mentioned almost everything that I had to say, except for, um, unbeknownst to some people, but uh, Peach and Black podcast will uh, uh, talk about this fact and, and kind of uh, reveal it. Uh, not that it's not common knowledge, but Blackwell actually didn't come up with the drum beat. Supposedly, uh, it was Prince coming Whoa. up with it. <gasps> Wow. Shock! Did you know that? So, um, you know, some, some listeners may know that. Some listeners might. So we'll just we'll put it out there again. It's it's not new information. But, that I mean, that that's interesting to me because it's more intricate than what what he would play. And, you know, maybe Blackwell embellished it, etc. But it's interesting to me to listen to that and think, yeah, he, he came up with that because it's, it's funky as hell. And you could imagine him laying down maybe the bass and the guitar lines and then coming up with a beat in his mind but getting Blackwell to play it, I thought. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, he really, Blackwell kills it in the bridge and um, the, the vocal 
the, the, the bridge vocalization is cool too. It's just cool to jam to. Latin-esque breakdown and groove change-up is seamless. My favorite part in the song. And I can just remember hearing this in back in October 2003. Blew my mind. It's just awesome. Awesome. Toe Jam, close out the Everlasting now. Yeah, I think this is one of my favorite songs of all time, Princess. It's just so funky. <laughs> it's just the, the, just the drums and the bass... And that chicken scratch guitar alone, that just kills me every time I hear it. I've heard this song a million times, and I still get floored by it. It's unbelievable. The horns just go off. Oh, yeah. How good is that? And then you got this wah guitar backing that as well. Awesome. Uh, the, the breakdown, where it goes to the Santana bit we were talking about. It always reminds me of George of the Jungle. George, 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 George. Yes, <laughs> yes, I've, I've heard that. I don't mind that because it's kind of cheesy. So, um, this, I think the song, you know, there's speculation that it's, it's actually about Larry Graham himself because there's a reference, you know, the everyday people thing um, and, you know, messing with the flag and all this kind of thing. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I just can't get enough of those that, the toms on that drum beat. And I remember seeing Blackwell do that at the clinic and seeing it live, of course, where he's, he's doing the, the snare and the hi-hat with his, le- with his left hand and then just cracking the tom the with his right hand. Just awesome to see and awesome to hear. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and he played it on Leno as well. Jay Leno, Tonight Show. They tore up that performance, by oh, the yeah. way. That was Absolutely. excellent. Absolutely. But yeah, I just, that, you just remind... With all that Perspex glass on the Leno, you couldn't really see him play that. Yeah, which which was disappointing because I really wanted to see, like, him create that beat. But anyway, I love I love the facial expressions that Prince is doing while he's playing that little mini solo um, <laughs> during that San- Santana inspired groove bit. It's just ridiculous on that Leno show. It's so cool, and then Sheila comes up with the symbol. But um, yeah, Tajam just reminded me. That's I think that's where where I actually first heard um, Blackwell talk about how Prince came up with the beat for it, and then Blackwell changed it. Up changed it around a little bit was that at one of the clinics that yeah he that's right so that was really really cool um to hear and to hear him play he actually played that part awesome um all right now we go into the last track well the last full song anyway um we, le- the, we leave the plastic boobs behind the rainbow children yeah that's referenced twice by the way in the lyrics they, they, <laughs> that's unbelievable um so the last song on this album is a song that I played more than anything else on this album when it first came out and still to this day it's one of my favourites on this album and I think one of the great great Prince songs in my opinion um, The Last December hell yeah yeah Yeah. over to Toe Jam to talk about this is an awesome song and every time I hear it if I, especially if I haven't listened to it for a while I start it up and I think oh you know this is a bit cheesy this song it's a little bit you know la la Christian-y kind of thing, but the fact that it goes to all these places is that it, it never seems forced. It always works its way back seamlessly, and just the, the composition complexity to work it all, all those different styles together, but it doesn't just sound like, oh, here's a, here's a Latin style, here's a, here's a, a rock bit, here's a, it, all just flows, <laughs> it all just flows seamlessly. It's unbelievable. Um, one little interesting thing here, it's always reminded me of the Banana Man. Do you guys remember Banana Man? I do remember Banana Man. <laughs> it's reminded me of the Banana Man theme. The theme song. <laughs> Similar chord progression. Now, it's just coincidence, but I always <laughs> find that kind of funny. Um, 
Yeah, very interesting chord progressions uh, using different inversions, and so it kind of descends down the chords, which is very interesting. And I've also got a reference here. It's it's not really I'm not going to say similar, but it's a a um, to me I've always heard this as a reference to the Larry Graham song Forever on his most religious album called uh, Mirror, and I find the two songs kind of they're kind of brother and sister of each other. Uh, they're not really similar stylistically or they are stylistically but they're not like you know it's not like Prince has ripped him off it's a completely different song but they're just similar enough there's you know there's the religious references there's the coming together as one kind of thing and there's grand kind of composition to end the album kind of thing I always found that kind of interesting Hmm. um yeah cheesy but it, it it's kind of cheesy in a still would stand all time sense like it's it's cheesy but it's really beautiful at the same time so, uh, and there's the quote baseline from Rock and Roll is Alive in, when it gets to that rock bit. Uh, yeah, I think I'll leave it there. It's, it's a great track, great track. What a powerful and uplifting closure to the album. This is one of those um, epic finishes to a Prince album like Purple Rain or Gold. It starts off with just the guitar, reminds me a little bit of The Cross, uh, and then it just builds and builds into this explosive track. Um, lyrically, it just makes you think um, to live your life to the fullest and being the best you can at it. Um, again, it has these nice contrasts from beautiful melodies and parts where Blackwell, Blackwell is really intricate on the cymbal work to really heavy sections with the guitar and bass to the Hammond organ towards the end and the soaring background vocals. And then you've got like all these little subliminal backward messages that are really quiet underlying all, all through it, interwoven in it. Um, and back again, it's an amazing track. And this, for me, is the icing on the cake for the, you know, the song and the album. Everything is really, really cool. Okay, Captain. Oh, yes. You saw this one live. I did. How did you know that? I did. I don't know. Magic. The first thing I've got written here is, what do you get if you cross Purple Rain, Holy River, Gold, and The Cross? You get this song. It's a, it's a, the best song you could have to finish this album, and guitar work it'd make it'd make any guitarist jealous. And the outro just blows your freaking head off. <laughs> and you you're right. I will not forget I, when I saw him in Japan on One Night Alone tour. And this is after seriously like half the audience had already left, probably at least ten minutes after. You know, every everyone had left the stage, and half the people had left. He comes back, he strolls out casually with his acoustic guitar, and he starts playing this song. And people wow, just lost acoustic. it. Shit. They just lost it. They came running back in like crazy people, which for Japanese people is funny to see because <laughs> they're usually very reserved and don't show any emotion. And it was funny. They lost it as soon as they heard some music starting again, and they all came running back in. And but he only played like a verse, and it, it didn't last that long. But it was it was it was good. I want next tour. It'd be, how good would it be if he played this song? Oh god! I mean, he Love hasn't it. he hasn't played these songs really since then. He should play it with a full symphony backing him. What do you think about that? Oh, that could be an interesting idea. Jeez, yeah. How come no one thought of that before? <laughs> but yeah, it's a great track. It's got so many different parts in it. It's just excellent. And the outro, it's just, it's scary. It's so good. Yes, 
Yeah, Brilliance personified. This song is unbelievable. Like you can't, you just can't. You could talk about this for the whole show. It is a great song. It's just but the thing that Tojay mentioned. I think is um is not only true, but it's so like you'd have to be so delicate in your arranging to manage it. Mm. You know, you can't just chop and change and edit. It. I mean, it's got to be seamless, and it is so seamless the way it's done. Um, it's just beautiful. It's 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 really really good. It's it's one of the reasons why you know this man makes um, su- such interesting music because because he's, he, he's got the talent, he's got the skills to do it. It's, it's a it's a great piece of work. Look. Someone described it this album as a soundtrack to some mysterious spiritual science fiction movie, which doesn't exist. <laughs> which is it's a good quote. It's a good one. It is a good quote. And, you know, it's the most organic-sounding album of Prince's career. The sound of the Fender Rhodes dominates most of the album. And there's some other interesting things. This is Prince's version of Jesus Christ Superstar, (laughs) which I think is a good one. Mm. And something else. Remember, Kevin Smith did a documentary at the celebration just after, well, a few months after this was released. Yeah. I think it would have been so good if that actually came out. It would have been a good, like, you know, I don't know partner to that album if that if we had a DVD or something, or even if it just came out through the music club. It would have been something interesting, mm. but it never happened. Um, this album is one of the best sounding albums he's done up to that point. It's, it sounded, it sounds, it still sounds excellent. Mm. But the output on the disc is too loud, and if you grab like a wave file, there's a lot of clipping, which you don't really hear a lot of distortion on the album. But there's a lot of clipping on this album. It might just be on CD. I haven't looked at vinyl yet, but because this, this is, I think there were some vinyl of these. I can't remember now. Um, one got released in April this year. Apparently, there was a vinyl pressing this year of them. Ooh. In the UK, I think. Wow. Yeah. Just, just on the point of view of sound quality, uh, from the perspective of sound quality, I just want to put it out there for people listening to the show. If you listen to any of Prince's music direct from CD, if you're listening on... Uh, Here we go. Uh, what was that? <laughs> no, if you, if you, <laughs> I missed that completely. Um, if you're listening to... Uh, you know his CDs via an amplifier or a or on your computer, or whatever. You know, and you're getting it direct from the source, which is the C- CD and the way that it's encoded. That's one thing. But um, for anyone that's importing CDs, make sure it's lossless because you will lose so much of the music and so much of the detail. You know, if it was a Pussycat Dolls, it doesn't really matter. You can listen to lossy versions. <laughs> this is Prince we're talking about. Listen to the proper stuff, and even lossy doesn't technically transfer everything. But uh, sorry, lossless doesn't even transfer everything that a CD holds because of the way that, you know, CDs transfer music into digital formats. But, yeah, do yourself a favour and listen to Prince Music and Lossless on your iPod. It will make a difference. Just okay, I've still out. got a couple more. Okay. This album was released, I think, in November of 2001, yep. which is, you know, that's it's just a bit over two months after September 11th. So you think of the, the, the you know, the come together as one message... You'd think if more people heard this album at that time, it would have been bigger than it was. Mm. Obviously, if more people heard it, it would have been bigger, but you know what I mean? It could have had some effect. I mean, it yeah. would have been recorded way before that happened, but 
Yeah, because the celebration was in June, and that's when they had the preview listenings, where they had everyone in the yeah yeah listening to the album. And then it didn't come. It came out yeah a fair while later. Anyone who knows uh, Coltrane, I don't. Someone said this is Prince's version of Coltrane's Love Supreme. Hmm. Anything? No. 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 No idea. Yeah, no, no one near. And, and, different. and here's the, one of the funniest quotes I found. If you loved Leonard Nimoy's folk album, then you must appreciate the, the bizarre enough to like this album. That's just great quote. Where are you pulling these quotes from? Oh, many places. Here's another good one. Cancer Disorder is 3,000 times better than this album. <laughs> I thought that was excellent too. That's really rocks harder, that's for sure. But oh, there's there's so many. I won't, I won't read them all, but there was a lot of negative stuff. Should we hear some of that? No. No. Had enough. No. I think we've we've said enough. Got one little my little rant about Again. comparing to love, sex. love sexy and the rainbow children. And I think I mentioned it a while back, but I can't remember. But this is it, you know, uncut. Uh. Obviously, both have a fair amount of religious content. Both albums uh, are meant to be, you know, consumed as a whole, a complete body of work, a concept album, if you want to call it that. But to me, both albums, they seem to have been born from the same place. And by that... Actually, I'm confused. Both <laughs> albums... When I, oh, you, you'll understand when I say it. Back in 1987, he recorded the Black Album... And that was his, you know, a hit back at the critics who were saying he wasn't funky anymore and the Black Album was to silence them and prove that he hadn't, hadn't lost the funk. And one of the reasons, among others, suggested that he pulled the Black Album's release was that it was created in this bad state of mind and if he died tomorrow, he didn't want this anger-filled piece of work to be the last thing he'd be remembered for, whether that's by fans or critics or God or whoever, whoever was going to listen to it. And then you flash forward to 1999, just after Rave came out, that was released, that was the so-called Return of Prince, or Produced by Prince, whatever it was. Mm. And it didn't do that well commercially, and it seemed to me he was back in the same position as, you know, a decade before, and critics were saying, you know, this, this is the comeback of Prince, this Rave album, he's not relevant anymore, he can't make the pop hits like he used to. And then through 2000, he he did the high project, which was recorded and everything, and it was very pop-oriented. It seemed very geared to radio. And I think he was back in that same position of trying to prove he could still make make him like he used to. And most of the high tracks, they surfaced through MG Music Club on various audio shows, and then they came out, Chocolate Invasion and Slaughterhouse. And it makes me think, if he had an outlet like MPGMC back in 1987, would we have seen the Black Album then? Probably not. Anyway, I'm still babbling on. So uh, the idea of releasing the High Project as a commercial album got shelved, and then he did a total 180, just like in 1987, from the the dirty funk of the Black Album to the, the joyful spirituality of Love Sexy. And then he went from the digital stiff drum machine pop of the late 90s offerings and high straight into the totally live in the studio sounding organic rainbow children. They're very similar. And in my opinion, in both cases, the second album 
was vastly superior to the original one, Love Sexy over the Black Album, and although I really do like the High Project and those tracks, the Rainbow Children is much better, I think. It would have been interesting if High had been released instead of the Rainbow Children, but something uh, MC mentioned before was the, the, the word universal, and this was the major difference between Love Sexy and the Rainbow Children. In Love Sexy, the, the lyrics, they're telling us of his newfound spirituality, and the message was a universal thing. It's about positivity, and anyone with any sort of belief could take that and apply it to their situation, no matter what their religion was, if any. And this time around, this, the Rainbow Children, it's such a specific... The message is to such a small number, a specific faith, and it's applicable to you know such a small group of people. And this that appears to be people's main problem with that album, I thought. But anyway, to sum up, I just think those the similarities between Black Album to Love Sexy and then High to the Rainbow Children. There, it's just it's interesting that he got in such a very career. He got into such a very similar situation twice that just it sort of blew my mind when I really started thinking about it out of all the things he could have done he got it seemed to me he got back in the almost exact same position that's all I got to say well, yeah. <laughs> history repeats itself so awesome yeah so what do you think yeah <laughs> no that's yeah completely on spot awesome you stuff. think yeah it could be total crap it could be <laughs> But it's not. That's good. Yeah, I um, I heard. I don't know where I heard this from, but it could have been a fan opinion. It could have been something more substantial. But that part of um, the sound, not the thematic uh, hoopla, but the sound of the album of the Rainbow Children was in part inspired by um, D'Angelo. Yeah, D'Angelo, Questlove Incidents, and and specifically, I was about, exactly I was about yeah. to say Voodoo, and and other neo soul type albums, but specifically that one. Yes. Um, and although you can't hear a direct, uh, like a, a an obvious sameness, I think in principle it's very similar. Yes. So I was just going to say that if unless players going to want to elaborate on it. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that this, to my ears, was a comeback album on many different levels. With the name, like, this is the first album as Prince from years using the symbol. Um, the sound from previous releases, and I think it's, like you said, it's in sort of an answer to D'Angelo's Voodoo album. I mean, that album just had a very organic sound that drew a lot of comparisons to Prince. Well, old school Prince. Um, and a lot of people were saying, like, when Voodoo came out, I, I wish this is the album that Prince made. And then that, he was, they were getting a lot of that around 1999-2000 So I think this is, you know, Prince had to just take the crown back and this is it, Rainbow Children. Um, even though the religious themes and overturns were a bit hard to digest, it was a focused project, it had a theme, it had a concept, the sound was organic all the way through, the artwork and images were interesting, it wasn't designed for charts, it was Prince doing what Prince does best and bearing his soul. And I think whenever he does that, the music becomes a lot more receptive. Um, at first, I was a bit annoyed that he didn't push this album to get it into the charts or make videos for the project. 
especially his first CD back as Prince. But over time, it's it's not a CD for everyone that people can just get straight into straight off the bat. Casual listeners and the like. Um, highlights would have to be Blackwell's playing, his attention to detail, the intricacies, the dynamics make this album, and having Femi Gia back behind the boards. You know, as they say, lightning doesn't strike twice, but Femi did it with Love Sexy, and now with Rainbow Children, he's amazing. Another connection, haha. Mm. <laughs> uh, Kabobi Bayok's artwork puts this cover up, cover art up there with Marvin Gaye's I Want You, or even Miles Davis on the corner. Has that sort of vibe to it. Um, if I was going to give this a rating out of 10, I'd give it 10. Even though, wow. even though it has its flaws because the strength of the overall album blows away the three days before and after its release. I could tell the tone of your, of your voice you were a fan, but 10, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's just an incredible piece, incredible piece of art. And I want to thank Prince for blessing us with it and thank D'Angelo for kicking his ass to <laughs> be back on top. <laughs> but yeah, I know, I know 10 sounds a stretch, but it's just, yeah. There's things there that that can bring it down from a 10 and I, I recognise that but I just really like this album for some reason alright um well, Captain do you have a rating? oh yeah I think I've talked enough um out of 10 um it's it's up there it's definitely up there but we've still got a long way to go and a lot of we've still got to have room for other things but I think I'm going to go eight and a half. Okay. It's it's, it's great. But it yeah. does have, you know, a few things. There's not a lot of things I don't like about the album. I mean, I know MC is going to say something about lyrics is going to bring down his rating. Mm. I don't have a lot to bring down the rating, but I've got to leave space because we've got a long way to go. Because mm. there are albums better than this. No. It's true. <laughs> But yeah, eight, eight, eight and a half. Hmm. And just before we go into Toe Jam, when you guys are giving out your ratings, I only have one thing to say about all of your ratings so far. It's only one word. Love sexy. That's all I have to say. <laughs> just do a, do, do, a comparison, do, do a direct comparison and watch the Rainbow Children be like shredded into dust. We'll get know, there. Into thin air. Um... Sorry, player. Toe Jam, <laughs> what, are your, what are your thoughts on it with a final score as well? Well, I remember when I first heard this album, and I'd only been a, probably a, a relatively hardcore Prince fan for maybe a year or two. And even back then, you know, I was right into Rave, I was right into New Power Soul and, and all that, and I, you know, I love that sound. And when this album came along, it, it just completely blew me off my socks, honestly. I think I was just right at the right age for it. I think I was, what, 18, 19 when it came out? just the right album the right time for this album to come out for me just the the live drums in the studio the live bass it just sounds and it still does so organic and I know that's such an overused term for this album but to me it does um, the music on this album is probably the best music compositionally performance wise he's ever done and ah um, oh man I can't praise this album enough on that level. Yes, there are some issues with lyrics that you know crop up from time to time, and uh, in very you know you listen to it and you kind of think yeah I agree with that I don't agree with that kind of thing. But to me, 
that is all superseded by the musicality of this album. And for that, I think I'm going to give this a nine and a half out of ten. Holy it's, moly. It, this is up there. I can never make up my mind when people ask me what's my favorite Prince album. It's either this, 1999, or Love Sexy. And it seems that it's always those top three. And I can never make up my mind which is my favorite of those three. But this is, this is up there. This is one of Prince's most honest works. It's one of his best works. Uh, and nine and a half out of ten for me. Fantastic. Mm. Nine and a half, ten, and then what, eight and a half? Eight and a half. Ten. One yourselves. thing that really blows your head off with this album is the whole thing just sounds like a total, like a live band. Yeah. And, and there, are, there are other people playing, but it's mostly Prince. And, and Black- yeah. A lot yeah. of it. Well, other John than- Blackwell was a complete revelation on this album. Yeah. Mm. And also going back to MC's talking about how I always reference a song uh, being sounding like it came from a dream. There's always one on every album. Uh, this and 1999 Love Sexy, it's the entire album. The entire album sounds like it was written in a dream. I don't know where it came from, but it's it's something that only Prince could do. It came from being high, the high project. <laughs> he was high. <laughs> yeah. No, I shouldn't infer that at all. No. <laughs> He yeah. was not high. And when it's, you really look at it, you know, it really did come out of out of nowhere. Like, you know, as much as I like Rave and that era, you know, it wasn't exactly the greatest period for Prince in, you know, again, musically, his fans and all that. And then suddenly this just comes out of nowhere. It's just unbelievable to me. Hmm. And really, since then, like, it's just been all uphill, I think, from, from, from this album on. Not in terms of getting better, but in terms of, you know, Prince getting his reputation back, uh, Getting his his all his you know his his music his management slowly getting it all back together. He's getting his mojo back. Mojo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> MC, right. are you going to use a iTunes rating system? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to use the iTunes rating system because I didn't listen to this album recently on iTunes. Okay. So my rating system is going to be completely uh, made up on the spot for this episode. Um, but I, I do have some closing thoughts, especially after listening to some of you guys. I'm going to be bouncing off some of my opinions. Here's my closing thoughts for this album. We are firstly, firstly, I want to <laughs> I want I want to just hit up something Toejam said about um, uh, you know this this was a, a whether I don't know if I'm using the right words, but a turning point, and this is really when things started getting. Um, better, maybe not in the sense of, you know, obviously of the music or the album itself, but he started getting everything back, getting everything together. I think it it might have been that period in his life, but I don't see how this album does that other than clearing the pipes, so to speak. I think this album allowed him... Here's my theory. I think after years and years of spiritual... Uh, searching, he found uh, a, fr- a certain amount of comfort, friendship from people that were close to him in in those years, in that period of his life, and I'm sure he went through, as we all do, uh, we're all human, went through certain experiences and life-changing events that alter our perception of the world, our perception of ourselves and of everything around us, and this is an intensely personal and intensely honest and, um, you know, uh, basically like a bare-chested 
kind of work of art, it is that. It is a concept album. It is significant in his over, or whatever you say, um, in his career. The music on this album is so inspired, and I think it's inspired for a reason, because he himself is inspired, and only he knows where that inspiration really comes from, whether he calls it God or whatever else. It's a specific contextualized inspiration, and the Rainbow Children came out of that. Therefore, it is a great work, a great cohesive work of art. However, this is not by the numbers prints. It's far from it. It's not the pop prints. This is the experimental avant-garde 160,000 copies sold as of like 2009 prints. This album gained almost no exposure, has been bought... It's the lowest selling album in Prince's entire career by a landslide. It is one of the most controversial at the same time, which is a very interesting combination when a low amount of people... A a low volume of people listen to something and they find a, a lot to... Uh, you know, a lot of points to criticize it on. That's interesting. And really, at the end of the day, I believe that his it, it's 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 a fundamentally flawed album in lyric, in content, in theme, and in execution. From that point of view, um, you know, everything other than the music, I think, is fundamentally flawed, and that's what always drags it down when I'm listening to it. And I just think that the music is so strong; it is amongst the best pieces of you know the best compositions he's ever done it is amongst there uh, in amongst there so i'm gonna have to you know take it back and and stop rambling and basically sum this album up by saying that when i first heard it i was blown away for good reasons and for reasons that i thought uh, that, that i now have come to understand um were quite legitimate i was thinking what is this guy thinking what is he on about so, as much as the musical is a masterpiece, I think the album is, is fundamentally flawed. I'm giving it a total score of six and a half out of ten. Oh. Oh. I mean, what was your rating for Planet Earth? Wasn't it seven? Probably seven, yeah. Holy you would, moly. You would rate Planet Earth higher than the Rainbow Children? Well, I did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did. Wow. Look, if it made people happy, I'd give it a seven just so it's on par. You know, I think you know when when we rate things, uh, I'm rating th- it completely on the spot. You know, where, where how the spirit moves me. Our ratings don't mean anything. They don't yeah. mean an album's good or bad. We just we're having a bit of fun. It's the Peach and Black podcast, for God's sake. Hey, now when we rate it, they pull it off themselves, man. <laughs> well, it's not even on the. Sh- this album was isn't even on the shelves. So it's got nothing to worry about. But the thing is that I I I find it I find it difficult to listen to and I can't lie to myself I can't put this album on and go I'll just put things aside because I can't do that that's not the way I I listen to music if I have to put something aside if I have to convince myself you know use the Johnny Cage method I don't I don't find that a natural way of absorbing music art literature of anything else I like stuff unfiltered and that's why I appreciate the album but I'm rating it not on what it's worth. You know, on the scale of, as an art, as a piece of art, it's a 10. This is a straight 10. There's no questions asked. On the scale of listenability and how much I enjoy this album, 
it's a six and a half or a seven at most because I can't get past certain things about it. I just it it hinders me as much as it as much as I think it's amazing. And I think he's even though I've I've agreed with Tojo Men and the rest of you guys that have said that these are some of his strongest compositions. I think if you look at the styles of music that this album fundamentally um, points towards, there are, I'm, I'm far more impressed by, by uh, other bands and players and artists than this. Come over here. Come over here, Doug. Come over here. I want to teach you a lesson. Come over here, Doug. Yeah. 